Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode, we visit with Muriel Shoebrooks, author of Beyond the Fences, a coming-of-age novel in which a young and ambitious woman journeys from her safe and familiar home in rural Kentucky to join the high-cultured European fashion industry. Throughout the 1950s, Marilyn White meets a world of wealthy, educated, and worldly people who introduce her to art, fashion, and propel her career forward. At the same time, she must balance her hometown familial values with her ambition and drive. One reviewer had this to say about the book. Great story of a young girl who wants more out of life than what her parent wants for her and the struggles that go along with seeking independence, but wanting and sometimes needing to stay close to your roots. Beautifully written. Once you start, you won't want to put it down. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com, and I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out CharlotteReadersPodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlotteriespodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Muriel, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks. Good to see you, Landis. Good to hear your voice. Yeah, you know, we're going to have to let them know that in a previous life, we were just uh, kind of business acquaintances. I actually, right. uh, I actually were, you were the real estate mogul in, uh, in Charlotte and in the Carolinas with Prudential Carolinas Realty. And I was just a, a young lawyer, right? At the time. <laughs> well, I'll have to say, Landis, that uh, there was a nickname. I'm not sure that we gave it to you or somebody else, but you were called the Bulldog. A Bulldog. Okay. Well, I, I, hopefully uh, I, I have uh, lightened it up over the years, you know, gotten a little bit uh, in my act three, uh, a little more uh, mellow perhaps. Well, that that was a compliment actually uh, <laughs> based on what your career was. Well, thank you. Yeah. You, you have to do it the space you're in, right? Which, which, That's what's, right. What's, what's presented to you. But uh-huh. so it, it, starting on this note, Mural, it's kind of interesting because um, – 
you know, you were a former real estate executive. You were very entrepreneurial. When I met you years ago, you, you were taking your real estate company, you were combining it with others. You were pr producing this really large real estate company for the Carolinas. You've been serving on nonprofit boards. Uh, you've lived kind of all over the world. We might talk about that. But uh, and then you go off and you write a novel. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, well, all in the line of thinking huh? and planning. I, I'll have to tell you, uh, people will ask me, so what was your thought process in writing the novel? And I said, uh, you know, I really didn't have any thought process because I never intended to do it. Um, and I'll go back a little bit to the beginning. While we were living in Barcelona, which was a great opportunity, by the way, through my husband's work, we were able to uh, spend about 18 years in Europe. But we were walking on the, the beach one day, and Rich said to me, so what's your earliest childhood memory? And I started rattling things off. And he said, no, no, that's probably something somebody's told you. You were too young for that as a memory. So what, what are your real memories? And that sort of piqued an interest. And I went home and I began to write down just bullet points of memories. And I had a wonderful family background, great upbringing. Very, it was very conservative. So those, those memories then were thrown into a, a file and didn't do anything with them. And some years later, actually, I was cleaning out files and came across it. And I thought, you know, I was that young girl and I had such wonderful opportunities. And yet there was something in me that always said, hold on to who you really are. Hold on to the roots. Hold on to what, you know, work ethic is and relationships and your spirituality. So I thought, well, why couldn't you take this young girl in a fictional life and move her from this childhood to throughout a career? Because we're all faced with, at one time or another, those, um, it, it's, it's social issues for us. Might not be social issues for others, but it's social issues for us based on what our background might be or what our exposure has been over the years. So I, I started the novel using these memories. And then from the time this child left the farm and went to college, everything from that point on is fictional. <laughs> well, so, okay, so let's rewind just a little bit because I I didn't know you had Kentucky roots. Uh, you 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 you, oh, yeah. you you grew up in Kentucky. My my college roommate was from uh, from Mount Sterling, Kentucky. He's still there now. He went back, and uh, so I know a little bit about that from 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 knowing him. And uh, but but like ground us a little bit in Kentucky that the environment you grew up in and what you saw as a young child. Um, my grandparents were farmers. And each of their seven sons became farmers also. And my dad, obviously, being one of them. And so I was the second child. I have a sister that's older, four years older than I am, and then a sister that is four years younger than I am. So all of my hang-ups is a result of being that middle child. <laughs> but this, the, um, the younger sister... Uh, at 18 months old, had extremely high temperatures. Now, we're talking about back in, at that time, it would have been back in the 40s. 
Uh, she had a very high temperature. We, she was taken to Vanderbilt Hospital. The end result is she was left as an invalid. So you've got a farmer who has a wife who wants to finish her education and become a teacher, but an invalid child and no, no sons to help him on the farm. So I actually became sort of my dad's son in working on the farm, and, and my sister as well, but she did a lot of the work in the house helping my mother. It was nothing unusual to get up in the mornings and have to milk cows or whatever before you, before you go to school. So from that, it developed a tremendous work ethic. Mm-hmm. It developed um, almost a sense of, no, you can't wait till tomorrow. Uh, farm life doesn't wait till tomorrow. So my husband will tell me even today, you get ready to do something, you're on a mission. Get out of the way because she's going to do it. So I I really give uh, my life growing up uh, credit for the successes that I've had in life. I was going to say, do you think that that, that humble background, growing up, working hard, working on the farm is what helped you become, you know, uh, a strong and successful female entrepreneur, you know, before you know, that was, I mean, as that was taking off for, yeah. for females. Yeah. Because yeah. you, 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 you were the woman in the room, right? I mean, for a lot of times well, in, in these you. meetings. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Well, I did have four male partners. So right, that, was, right. that was an interesting process too. <laughs> right. Um, but you did, well sta- as, you, you did, you did, you did stand up for yourself well, well though. Yeah. Well, you, it was necessary. But, uh, but yeah, my mom was a very, um, she had this tremendous desire for education. Uh, she had her undergraduate degree. She had her master's and just shy of her doctorate when she got ill. So education was everything to her. And she made sure that that my sister and I um, got our education. And that was the beginning of it, because that was the beginning of seeing a life that was outside of this uh, uh, farmland, this conservative community, you know, church surrounded, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so back to your earlier point, this book is a little autobiographical, uh, I sense, in the early stages, because there is is this female character, uh, the protagonist, and she's got a sister who has suffered, you know, a medical Mm -hmm. condition, and she's she didn't want the sister, but now she's saying, is it her fault? She's turned out this way and these kind of things. And then you start to follow her life and you're saying from there on, from the time she gets to college and all the things she does, it's Muriel didn't go to Paris to do uh, fashion, right? No, that's right. As a matter of fact, all the places that are in the book, I have visited. Right. So it was easy to write about the environment because I've spent time in all of them, especially in Italy. I spent a lot of time in Italy. Yeah, you set, you got the settings here. Just talk about the settings a minute, because they're, 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 settings can be like a character, too, in a book. And you've, you've set it in rural Kentucky. The We've already talked about the small communities. You, you've been to Milan. You've been to Paris. So these are uh, – tell us about these cities and how they fit into the novel. Well, first of all, we, we lived in Amsterdam first and then, then moved to Barcelona for almost 16 years. And our, our uh, travel was based on my husband's work, which he could go anywhere. He worked for Nike and the NBA, and so he could go anywhere. And 
we would end up spending a considerable amount of time in Italy because that was sort of a hotbed of, of uh, basketball at that time as well as Spain. So we, we would go into a city like Milan and I was, he had to work. I, I was free to do whatever I wanted to. So I went on all the fashion streets and, you know, I, I saw areas that I thought, well, this is outside of anything I could have ever been exposed or expect to be exposed to as a child. So I thought, well, that's, again, that's how you, what you do. You know, writing is purely storytelling. And sometimes it's your imagination of putting yourself there and how would you handle particular situations. And that, to me, that's the fascinating thing about writing. I don't like the editing. I want somebody else to edit. I don't want to worry about punctuation. I don't worry about sentence structure or anything like that. I don't want somebody else to take that and do it. So my editor was very good. Fran Matei actually lives in Charlotte. And she said, you write, I'll correct you. So <laughs> she did a great job of doing that. But anyway, uh, you know, these were all places that I spent time. And I was able to kind of draw from that experience. But I was never in the fashion business. Yeah. And I never lived in Milan or Paris, but I did visit there a lot. So so what was it? Uh, you know, you started this project as sort of reflections on growing up in, in rural Kentucky. You kind of start jotting that down in the form of a, of a book. And then you suddenly, this character decides to take on a life of her own and you send her overseas and into the fashion industry. Uh, what was it that propelled you to put her in that environment Uh to have her go because you, you've been you 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 went the real estate route you know you, you were a woman among many men who are leading companies you put her in a situation to where she was going to have to step up you know as a woman in that in that industry uh, so what's going through your head why why pick that industry and uh, I'm sure some of what your own experiences that you experienced in, in the working world kind of rubbed off on you and try to helping her get through her some of her situations. Well, one of the things that kind of uh, uh, was a recall was doing, uh, you know, projections and um, uh, business plans. That was definitely, I mean, you know, that applies to any business, whether it's real estate law or whether it's fashion. But, um, you know, in the book, uh, the protagonist, Marilyn White, meets this young man, Joe, uh, right at the very beginning of her college days. And... He is a fascinating character to her because he comes from a different background than she does. He's from New York. His mother is in the fashion business in Milan. His father is a doctor in New York. I mean, this is totally foreign to her that people actually have this kind of lifestyle. She goes with him to visit his family at Thanksgiving in New York and picked up at the airport by you know, a chauffeur and a family, you know, car, uh, a limousine, goes back home. Now, he hasn't seen his parents for all of these months. He goes back home. When he goes back home, he ends up uh, being welcomed by the cook and the butler and, you know, the housekeeper and that kind of thing. Well, again, she is blown away by all of this different atmosphere that people actually live in. And he's embarrassed. Now, she's taken him to her home on the farm, and she was embarrassed to take him there. But he's embarrassed 
to bring her into that environment because there's no love, there's no parents, there's paid help that is his family. So that was the first beginning of separating this young girl from her background to a whole different scene in life. Yeah, it's like worlds colliding. And in some respect, if you took your early upbringing and then living in Amsterdam and traveling around Milan and Paris, right. that those are worlds colliding too, right? That's exactly right. That's yeah. right. And then from there, of course, she meets his mother, who is in the fashion business, who has a partner, which that is is strange to her, because she has not experienced that. And yet the father has a live-in nurse, and they agree to this arrangement. The mother and father agree to this arrangement. And that's strange to her. So <laughs> throughout the book, I tried to I tried to incorporate virtually every social issue you might think of. And then determine how this protagonist is going to deal with that social issue. And I tried to put myself in that situation, coming from, you know, this conservative background. And obviously, you and I have been faced with things that uh, our parents would have never been faced with. We've been faced with things today our parents would have never been faced with. So how then do you deal with those challenges that are before you? Yeah, that's great. And so while growing, actually, while ex- growing. Exactly. Yep. I mean, you know, keep an open mind because things change. If if uh if you don't, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna keep up. So uh that's right. So you, you sort of set up the inciting incident here that she meets a boy named Joe and they go to to, to the to the big city and uh of course, Joe has a brother, which is going to kind of set up this reading you're going to do, right? That's coming right. up here. So, so tell, tell, let's do a little setup for the reading you've got because we're at a spot here where uh, authors give voice to the written words. You picked out a little section. Maybe you can set it up for us and then read it. Well, uh, Joe was the straight guy. You know, he he wanted to do everything right to be accepted by his parents. Manny is the bad boy. Manny is the brother that has flunked out of every college, and his parents now have built a building in at Columbia uh, campus in order to get him into law school. And of course, he's the shaggy one that shows up at the home. The, it's actually out on Long Island now. That's their second home, which again is strange to this girl that you have two homes. And so Manny shows up with ragged clothes, you know, dirty backpack. And, of course, his mother, being in the fashion business, is totally embarrassed by this whole thing. But as we go into it, Manny becomes a major player in the book, much more so, actually, than Joe. Now, this is after the night before Thanksgiving, and she's had an opportunity to meet the mother, the father, the partner of the mother, and a lot of the visitors that have come in from Paris and, and Italy to celebrate Thanksgiving with the family. As I turned to go back to my bedroom, a sweet smell of smoke rose from under the door. It was much too heavy a scent. 
I assumed it was not cigarette smoke. Since Joe wasn't a smoker, I also knew that it was not his room. I knocked on the door to inform the other guests that I was finished in the bathroom and that it was now available. As soon as I heard the voice behind the door respond, I knew it was Manny's voice. He came to the door, opening it quickly. He had a smile on his face that lit up the room and made my heart race. This time his smile seemed genuine, not diabolical as I thought it might have been at the dinner table. He leaned against the door, holding a cigarette on his hand that was hand-rolled, like the ones I'd seen my daddy roll with loose tobacco. He extended his other hand and slid it around my waist, pulling me into his room. I struggled slightly, but hesitated to make a commotion in case the noise roused others. Manny put his mouth close to my neck and told me how he had watched me during dinner, knowing that John Humphreys, his mom's attorney, seated next to me, was probably trying to do something suggestive to me under the table. I could tell something was up by the look on John's face, that he was aroused by you and was acting flirtatious. Joe is so naive, he had no idea what was going on. And even if he had, he would not have wanted to make a scene. Manny continued by saying, that he wanted to jump jump up and tell John, hey, John, go ahead and get her really hot and bothered because I want her next. I'd never had anyone talk to me like this. I was shocked, but I was intrigued. I felt my face flush, and at the same time, I felt something tingle deep inside me. I wanted to explore this feeling further with Manny. It was like throwing caution to the winds. Manny was was thrilling to my psychic as he was dangerous to my body. There have been many instances with Joe that I had wanted to have this tingle, this sense of pure sexual excitement. When Joe made advances toward me physically, but each time I felt nothing and I'd retreat from him physically. My usual excuse from pulling away with Joe was that I wasn't ready for an intimate relationship. I knew he felt rejected, but the truth of the matter was I felt no passion for Joe and could not even fake it with him. But Joe was my best friend, and I did not want to give up my relationship with him. Manny turned to me and pulled me up against him. I felt the bulging hardness behind the zipper in his jeans. He pulled me over to the bed and put the cigarette in an ashtray beside the bed. He asked me if I'd ever smoked marijuana, better known as pot. I shook my head, and he said, Well, baby, tonight is the night for some new experiences for you to take back to college. Okay, we got the got a little steam rising here on Charlotte's, Charlotte's podcast. Yeah, uh, did you have fun? Did you have fun writing that up? That little song? I did. Yeah, it was it was kind of fun. Well, first of all, I will say that I wrote it, and then I had a reader uh, read my manuscript after it's finished. She said, "You got to clean this up a little bit." And so my editor said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, 
don't clean it up at all because Manny's the bad boy all the way through the book. And you know, the arc that takes place obviously in mm-hmm. movies and books. So right. I, won't, I won't make Manny the bad boy to the right. end, but yeah, anyway, yeah. the arc takes place. Yeah. You got to have the arc and you got to have them in a certain place for that arc to work. And uh, right. so, so what is it mural about the, uh, you know, she's got these, Two guys there. One Joe. He's just he, he's he'll do anything for. Her. He's a nice guy. He follows the rules. In comes Manny, and she's not attracted to the rule follower. She's attracted to the rule breaker. Well, I, I will have to tell you, <laughs> probably every female has had some little bad boy in their life at some time, and Manny sort of represents that bad boy. And the, the interesting thing is, my friends who read the book, they say, "Okay, who is Manny?" That's somebody in your life. Manny's not somebody in my life, but he's just that bad character. And there's things about him with his, I guess, his freedom Hmm. that, uh, that, you know, you can kind of say, hey, I'd like to have a little bit of that loose freedom that he has. Yeah, those are the ones that, uh, you know... You're getting that out of your system, but then you find someone else to get married to later, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. You hope so anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 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 themes for this book, Mural, you have themes like uh you've got this comfort and familiarity uh up against this desire for independence and and learning new things. And then you've got this life that's lived on different uh, economic levels, different social levels. It's also sort of a personal growth story, right? For this young woman was this uh were you kind of thinking back to your own personal growth as you're as you're writing the story i think so i i think that and maybe as much as my own personal story as watching my children grow from um you know high school college married or jobs and families and so you know i think that's it's a normal path um the Probably the challenge, though, is along that path, uh, one of the things that the protagonist has to deal with is this whole control thing of her life. You know, the sense of responsibility and commitment to someone who's given her a wonderful chance in her career, then she becomes the puppet or the puppeteer. And how many times in in careers, do people find themselves where they'd like to break away, they'd like to be able to do something else, but but there's a known factor that's there that they're willing to live with. And not just, maybe not, maybe in relationships, you know, a lot of different ways in life. So that that was something that that I guess all of us have experienced to some degree. Um, in either in our career or in relationships, or at what point do you take control of your own life? Yeah, you build up a certain uh, level of economic success or you build up a certain comfort level, and then there might be something else you want to do. But to do that, you've got to take a risk and give up right. some of those things, right? That's exactly right. And, and you've done that You've done that in your career over time in real estate yeah. because you're, 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 things are going well and you decide, okay, I'm going to put this thing together with a bunch of you know, men who run other organizations from other places, it's going to be kind of a risk, but the, the reward might be better than the risk, you know? Yeah. And, and you have to be willing to take those, those are, and, but, you know, time in obviously, but, but um, I, this, this young girl had to do that at some point. She felt mm-hmm. like she had to do that at some point. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, 
I'll just mention how we ended up with a part one and a part two of the book. Um, I belong to a, a Readers at the Lake book club at Lake Norman. And I had my manuscript finished, the first book. I was going to do a sequel. And I had it finished. And some of the books we were reading in book club were a little heavy. And some of the people were saying, I'd like to do something a little lighter. So I set myself up very vulnerable. You know, when you write something, you're really vulnerable and you expose it. Um, Because you set yourself up for judgment. And so I asked them, would you be willing to read my manuscript and maybe give me some positive feedback? I don't need somebody to say, oh, that's great. Or, yeah, I enjoyed that. I want you to give me positive feedback. The largest percentage of the members of the book club said, I don't like your ending. (laughs) Well, you know, the ending's the hardest thing to write, first of all. And so I said, well, talk to me about it. I said, I'm doing a sequel. That's why I left all this open. I'm doing a sequel. And they said, no, don't do a sequel. (laughs) Carry this on. And because I told them what my sequel was and or about. And they said, no, no carry this on. So to go into the second part of the book, I didn't have to rewrite. Uh, yeah, I rewrote some of the last of, of the part one because I did end it. So I had to rewrite a little bit of, of part one. But it did allow me to continue on with the same characters. Now, the mother of Marilyn did not play a major role in part one. But she played a very major role in part two. Hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned you use the word positive uh, feedback. I think you're probably talking about constructive feedback, whether it turns <laughs> out to be right. whether it turns out to be positive or negative. You, you want the feedback that tells you honestly the things that you need to fix to make it a better manuscript. That's right. That's exactly yeah. right. And that is the hardest thing for authors to, to you know sort of put your ego aside, sort of put yourself out there and accept. Uh, Accept that feedback from yes. people, which is a good segue actually into the few writing life questions I've got before we jump over to our Patreon channel, which I'll tell the reader, uh, listeners about in a minute. But, uh, you know, as I said earlier, you came from this uh, s- sort of business background, real estate world. You're very active in these boards. You decide you're going to write a work of fiction. It's one thing, Mural, to sit down and start making notes about your childhood. It's another to start thinking about uh, how to move a plot forward, how to you know, craft words that are active voice and not passive voice and not sound like you're doing something for a PowerPoint presentation or whatever. So <laughs> what did you do uh, to kind of prepare yourself uh, for this? Um, did you just write and get it out of your system and then go to an editor? Did you do something else? What did you do? You know, I'd like to tell you that I, I had a lot of um, courses or training or whatever. I, I didn't. Um, my mother uh, had two books published. And she went through all kinds of writing, you know, classes and that kind of thing. She sent me books on writing, hoping that one day I might write something. I didn't do any of it. I just wrote. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I had to go back and take about 20,000 words out because I couldn't quit writing. Mm. Um, And it's just life's issues. It's all about, you know, it's about. Staying true to yourself, it's about uh, taking risks, it's about, um, you know, that respect and commitment and willingness and loyalty 
while not letting that totally control what your whole life is going to be. Um, it's it really uh, and it's facing um, conflict. You know, this poor girl, she had entrapment. You know, she felt like she could trust everybody in the world. And that was her naivete, I'm sure, from her background in, in my thinking. And then she got into entrapment where mm. the man that she thought she was going to marry and the person that the main, uh, the character that she was employed by, they turned against her. Mm. And now what do you do? You know, so it, I really, I just told a story. Uh, that was it. I just wrote a story of a person's life and how they would be faced with issues and then how they would handle those issues that they were faced with. Of course, you know, sitting down to write uh, a story as long as a novel takes a lot of discipline, a lot of commitment. You have probably had to change some of your daily practices to, to, to sort of put that butt in the chair, right, to stay there. So why were you committed, Muriel, to take those steps because it did take a lot of work to complete this book. What what was driving you to write this book? Well, what was driving me to finish the book was guilt. It was guilt that I had put that much time and effort and, and money into it and was not finishing it. And that probably goes back to my childhood where you don't leave things unfinished. You even if even if it's the toughest thing ever, you don't leave it unfinished. Once you start it, you go and you finish. And the manuscript was laying there, you know, and it was driving me crazy because I had not finished it. And I made a commitment that by December of I think it was 2017, 2018, I can't right off the top of my head tell you. It absolutely would be ready to go to a publisher. That was it. Well, then, of course, that's when the, the work starts. The mm -hmm. fun is writing. The work starts when you finish it. When yeah, you get that last page published. That's good. I like that motivation. I'm, I'm going to finish this damn book if it kills me. Right? That's exactly right. I will finish it. And, and I tend to be one to have, you know, timelines. I will do this within two days. I'll do this within four days. And I'd start to maybe go play golf. And I'd say, nope, can't do it today. I've got to spend time on that book. Yeah, well, I applaud your commitment. It's not easy to 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 finish something you start, uh, particularly if it's something new that you've taken on, like yeah. this, uh, writing a novel. Uh, let me just tell our listeners, we're going to be jumping over to Patreon uh, in just a moment because uh, Muriel's experience in putting this book into the world involved the use of a hybrid publisher where she did some herself, did some a la carte. We're going to talk about that process and what was involved there. You can join us. Uh, yeah, it's about a cup of coffee a month maybe to to join to get these exclusive episodes. This one is going to be uh, at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. You can jump over and get this one. All the others we've got out there, we got over 60 with people, with authors talking about the craft and business of writing. So join us there. And uh, Muriel, just uh, just to wrap up here, uh, you know, what are you uh, what are you most proud of having? Uh, well, besides the fact you finished finished the book, <laughs> <laughs> what do you what are you most proud of about about this particular book? Well, actually, I'm proud of the uh, the comments that I've gotten back on it. I've gotten very very positive comments. 
Um, and I have uh, actually sold more books than I probably uh, didn't work hard enough. I could have sold more. But I've sold a lot of books for, you know, the amount of effort that I put into it. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm not, that's not another career where I'm going to write a series of books or anything. So um, this was it. And I, I felt like, okay, then, um, you know, you need to uh, you need to do some marketing, some promotion. And I'm most proud of the number of books probably and the positive feedback I've gotten from readers. That's great. And uh, you're going to be working on a memoir too, I think is what you told me. So there's still some writing ahead of you. Well, real quickly, um, this was a big year in birthdays. And one of my daughters is having my grandchildren, my adult grandchildren to come together and we're going to do a question answer. It's the life of me. And so I will prepare for them before getting there um, a memoir, probably just with spiral binding kind of thing, a memoir, but but part of my history. Okay. Well, be careful about including the bad boys since, it, since the, young kids are, <laughs> the young kids will be looking at it. So uh <laughs> Well, Miro, this has been great. I, I've loved connecting again. Uh, totally different environment than you and I first uh, were introduced to each other in many, many years ago when you were selling real estate and I was helping uh, you with uh, different things when I was a young lawyer. But it's, it's great to be back and talking about books and talking about literature. That's right. Things are a lot simpler than uh, real estate and law. Lots <laughs> <laughs> well, Look, thanks for being on the podcast. Sure. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our author's voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.